It's time for episode 442 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where you don't have to beware the Ides of March. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I'm joined across the internet by my good pal, my dungeon buddy. It's Dan the Man Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm great. I avoided all Senate meetings yesterday, and everything went really well for me. So <laughs> glad to be here. Et tu, Dante? I don't know. That's just, uh, that's just Dante. That's oh, just the name. Dante. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the person groaning at that terrible joke who is joining us uh, to my left is the executive director of Rebellion Pack, as well, of, uh, as well as a former candidate for the U.S. House in Massachusetts. It is the host of Rocket right here on Relay. FM. It's Brianna Wu. Hello, Brianna. I, I was doing well, but now I may have to go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. We understand. <laughs> to my left this week, it is independent iOS and macOS and tvOS developer. He'd get an app on home on the HomePod OS if he could pull it off. Maker of PCalc, Dice by PCalc, and the soon-to-becoming mysterious third app. It's James Thompson. Welcome back, James. I, I appreciate you having me on an episode that's got 42 at the end of the episode. Ah, oh, yeah, intended. We planned it. Definitely yes. intended. Mm-hmm. You know what else is intended? Getting started with the show. You know how this works. We've got four topics, 30 minutes. I'll kick things off. I'm curious. Have you tried any of the game streaming services like Luna, Stadia, GeForce Now, etc.? And if so, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Brianna, we'll start with you. I have to say, I really feel like this is a technology that is in search of a problem (laughs) to go solve. Um, You know, engines are so good at scaling nowadays that we can really uh, adjust games to work well dependent on what your hardware is. Uh, You know, these kinds of streaming services, they promise top of the line graphics, you know, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, um, my experience with it, even in the very best circumstances, is there's always a ton of latency with it, uh, which if you don't know, that's like you you push a button and then you jump like a fraction of a second uh, <laughs> later, which it's very disorienting. You know, for me as a speedrunner, um, I won't even play with a uh, wireless controller because uh, that latency is so unacceptable. So, um, yeah, they keep trying to push this with like PlayStation Now and Stadia, which was a huge bust for our industry. I just, I, I'm very skeptical that it's ever going to catch on to a, a mainstream audience. At the same time, you have companies like Netflix that are just cannibalizing the AAA space in the game industry uh, because they're making really big bets on gaming. So, uh, it's reasonable to conclude streaming may be some part of that so maybe they'll figure it out but i wouldn't bet on it personally (laughs) yeah i the only one i've tried is xcloud which is microsoft's game streaming service and i've used both their version that lets you stream from the cloud as well as the one that lets you play from your local console uh the latter one seems to be much better because it does not as much subject to the vagaries of network congestion although as Bree says the latency is always an issue especially if you're playing anything that has sort of like a high reaction component like a first person shooter or something it is very hard to get over that latency 
Um, so I think what I like the most about this is the accessibility it offers to people who don't necessarily have the budget to get a game console, but might be able to sign up for like a month's worth of a streaming service to play a game that they really want to play. The question obviously being then is the performance going to be what they want it to be. I think there's probably some technological ways they could find clever solutions to some of these latency problems, but it is definitely a lot trickier than say streaming a TV show. That's just a linear video you're watching. Um, so it might be better for some types of games rather than others. But I agree that with network latency kind of always being more of an issue than it is just looking directly at a console hooked up to your TV. I think there's definitely a certain class of games and gamers who will find this a total non-starter. James, what about you? I've briefly used GeForce Now, but uh, like Dan, the one that I've used the most is the Xbox cloud gaming stuff. Uh, I played a bunch of Mass Effect and Forza Horizon through it recently, and it worked an awful lot better than I was expecting it to, because I was expecting that kind of latency thing. And uh, either I've just got old and I can't tell anymore, but it <laughs> seemed pretty good. Um, you know, and also when games are getting past 100 gigabytes in size to download them, it's at the very least a great way to start trying something mm -hmm. instantly to see if you actually mm -hmm. like it before spending several hours downloading it. Um, I do think it's ridiculous and feels downright anti-competitive that Apple doesn't allow these services to have their own native apps on the App Store. And so they have to run in the browser. I don't think they're any different to something like Netflix. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a bit like if Apple made a TV, but you couldn't plug a PlayStation into it. Do they really think Apple Arcade's only chance of survival is <laughs> to make it slightly harder to play Halo? Um, yeah. So I, I think that they should change that. I have actually used Luna, Amazon's uh, game streaming service, quite a bit. I used to not really game at all. And then I found... Um, Assassin's Creed, and that kind of changed things for me. Um, I did not have the console at the time to play it anywhere else. And so I was just trying to use Luna to test out Luna. And Assassin's Creed Valhalla was the game that I decided to play in order to test it at the time. And then I really liked Assassin's Creed Valhalla and started playing it more and more. Um, and ever since then, I sit down on my Mac, which is uh, plugged in via Ethernet, and uh, pull out the Luna controller, and I can play. Um, for for me, I have no issues because, again, I'm not like a huge gamer, so I think that the latency that probably does exist is not something that I notice. Um, however, I will say that I have tried playing it before from my iPhone, which has Wi-Fi six to the with an Eero that has Wi-Fi six and it's too laggy even on on that. Mm -hmm. So like I have to have a wired connection in order for it to work. Uh, but when I do have the wired connection, it's excellent and works great for me. Um, all right. Thank you all for your answers on that topic. Let us move to our next one, which comes from Brianna. Awesome. So a game you should definitely not play because you will die if it has latency is uh, Elden Ring. Uh, this is a smash hit game. It just came out uh, recently. If you have a Twitter account, undoubtedly you've seen people uh, gushing about it. The other thing with Elden Ring is it's a very, very hard game. It's a subgenre we call a Souls-like. Um, if you look across the industry, this game has consistently gotten 10 out of 10 from pretty much every single 
outlet, which um, I thought was very surprising because, uh, you know, unlike a Mario or, you know, a Legend of Zelda even, uh, Souls games are really inaccessible to a wider audience. So I just wanted to go around uh, the table here and ask, uh, have you played Elden Ring yet? And if so, uh, do you think that uh, this this uh, this almost unanimous decision that it's a 10 out of 10 game is warranted. <laughs> I have not played Elden Ring. I'm hesitant because of the souls likeness of it. I, the only souls like I think I've played is the star Wars, uh, Jedi fallen order one, which is, is sort of a star Wars take on that, which is a game that I, uh, sort of suffered through for a while until I got to a point where I felt like I was better at it, which seems to be roughly the pattern of these games. And I only stuck with it that long because I like Star Wars so much. Um, so Elden Ring, as much as it seems to be everybody talking about it, it wasn't something that I immediately was going to rush out and play. Perhaps this game isn't for me, but I maybe the, the reviews will convince me that I need to check it out at some point. James? Honestly, I just don't want the difficulty spikes and the deliberate frustration that seems to be the point of these From Software games. I did try Bloodborne and I just couldn't get into it. But like Dan, uh, Jedi Fallen Order was the closest thing I've come to enjoying that kind of gameplay. And I'm sure people will tell me it's just baby's first Souls game. Um, I like my games to have a wide range of difficulty settings and accessibility features. I want a quest log to keep track of which of the thousand NPCs in the world wants me to find them a frying pan. I'm not 13 anymore. I don't have infinite time to play games. I just want to have a good time. And if that means bumping the difficulty down a notch, I literally don't care. I have heard a lot about the difficulty of this game. I saw uh, the the one thing that sold it for me as not being a game I could probably play was uh, someone showing how by going into the special uh, menu mode, that was the only way to pause the game at certain times. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, well, yeah, no, that, this isn't going to work for me. Um, but Brianna, I know you have been playing it. I am curious to hear your thoughts to wrap this up. Well, you know, I, I, I think all of you are correct. I think, uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this topic is I've been playing Elden Ring and I'm, I'm certainly enjoying it. Um, I do think that the game industry has a real problem with a culture that is really only represented by one type of gamer, right? And in this case, I think that the people that are self-selecting to review Elden Ring are people that already really, really, really like, uh, you know, a Souls-like type of game. Something I've felt very strongly about professionally for a long time is accessibility is not something we value highly enough in the game industry. And I think this game, if I were to rate it on accessibility, I think I would give it an F. You know, it's just, it's the, the mechanics for it are so obscure. Um, yeah, that said, James, I would say if you are enjoying, you know, Forbidden West, this game has a really magical feeling of exploring in it. It gets rid of all that Ubisoft like quest markers and wandering around looking for something forever, like with a, a radar to guide you there. You're just walking throughout this land and seeing what you find and taking adventures as you come, as they come to you, which is a very freeing, exciting type of game that we don't really get. Uh, it's just. 
It's incredibly hard, and you will die hundreds of times every single time you play it. So uh, you just kind of have to accept that. But uh, I, I just I wish our industry had a little bit more uh, perspective in how we review things. All right, folks, we are going to take a quick break so I can tell you about electric. When you think of the phrase boss move, you might think of making a bold business decision or maybe giving a great presentation in front of a big crowd. The reality is sometimes being a boss in a small business means sorting out the orange juice you spilled on your own keyboard or maybe helping a staff member with setting up their new laptop. The team over at Electric, they know small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you got a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Look, think about I think about my friends who are in uh, that sort of mindset of of, of starting a business, of, of wanting to uh, to build something, and they kind of uh, that that whole entrepreneur spirit. It makes you want to do everything, be the jack of all trades. It makes you just just strive to 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 take on as much as possible. But at some point, you have to realize that it is a good idea to let someone else handle a couple of the things. And in this case, Electric can handle the IT part of your business. For Clockwise listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. All you do is go to electric.ai slash clockwise to set it up. That's electric.ai slash clockwise to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. And of course, our thanks to Electric for their support of this show. All right, back from halftime. That means it's time for Dan's topic. So I'm curious about how you get your technology. Do you order stuff, especially in the case of Apple devices, online uh, and wait for it to get delivered to you, whether it's your iPhone or a new device when it comes out like the Mac Studio? Or do you go and, you know, go to the store and buy it there? Do you order it to pick up in the store? What is your what is your strategy for ordering tech, James? Well, for the last two years, it's been almost 100% online for fairly obvious reasons. But even before that, I had no real desire to queue up for a new phone or anything like that. I did it once. I stood in line for about three hours to get an iPhone 4S, and I will never, ever do it again. Um, because I work from home and I'm almost certainly in or I can arrange to be, it makes a lot more sense to have stuff to come directly to me. Maybe it doesn't make environmental sense, but right now it certainly makes pandemic sense. Um I did return stuff to a physical store last year because it was the quickest way to get new things. But even with the AirPod Pro replacement program, I did that by mail. I think it's going to take me a while to get back to wanting to slowly browse stores for pleasure. And honestly, I do wonder if that is never going to happen. If I, I've got the mindset of if I have, if I have to go in, it's much more targeted, you know, get in, get out. Yeah, I definitely order uh, pretty much everything online. 
there's less anxiety for me with that than sort of having to orchestrate going to a place and picking it up and figuring out all of the different things that you need to do and what, you know, you got to bring to show your you and all of that kind of stuff, uh, rather than just sort of going about my day. Um, I'm privileged enough to be in the wherever it is I'm having it delivered, you know, to be able to keep an ear or an eye uh, out to have that uh, ready for pickup. But Brianna, what are your thoughts on this? I am also part of the problem. Uh, I have everything delivered. Um, you know, part of it is COVID, right? Uh, mm. The other, I suppose, is privilege. I do have to say, though, I think part of it with Apple, if we're being really honest, I have long been of the opinion that Apple design has kind of stagnated a little bit. And I think five or six years ago, it was a lot more exciting to go to the Apple store and, you know, play around and look at what their newest things were, their newest quirky thing that they're bringing to market is. And I haven't felt that way in a long time. Like, let's go to the Apple store and see their coolest new thing. Uh, look at the, uh, you know, the M1 Mac, uh, the MacBook Pro that came out, right? This is a thing that's sexy because it's a return to an older style of MacBook, right? Um, so I, I do wish that Apple was willing to take more bets the same way that Microsoft is willing to do and to bring like quirky, fun things to market that, you know, you'd want to go to the store and look at. As it is, it's really more of a, um, like shopping for groceries on Amazon, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I've got to get this. So let's have it delivered to my house so I don't have to go somewhere unpleasant. So interestingly, I am a person who very much is aligned with the ways that most of you are thinking about this. I tend to get stuff delivered. In the past, I've often ended up a little bit jealous of uh, people who, on especially on new iPhone day, have ordered pickup in the store because... I end up waiting all day for the UPS truck and I'm at like the end of the route or whatever. So it never shows up before like five o'clock at night. And meanwhile, everybody else has gotten their new phones and unboxed them. And it's just, I feel very, you got that, that fear of missing out there. Now, the reason I asked about this, and I guess we'll touch upon this in James's topic next. Uh, I ordered a new iPad pro after the Apple event last week. And at the time when I ordered it, which was directly after the Apple event, it said, all right, well, they're not shipping. It'll ship sometime between March 16th and March 23rd. I was like, man, supply chain stuff is really, really kind of nuts. Uh, so I was waiting. I was like, all right, I'll be patient. And then yesterday, it was the 15th, and I looked, and it's like, it still hasn't moved from processing. Uh, on a whim, I checked my local Apple store, and guess what? They had plenty of them in stock. So I canceled my online order, went to the store, and had a new iPad within about half an hour. Mm. And I had this moment of sitting there going like, well, the stores are stocked because Apple wants to make sure that when you go into the store, stuff is there. Um, and the online stuff sometimes seems to get uh, a little bit shorter shrift in that department. So it made me rethink some of my strategy for dealing with this. And to Bree's point, I actually do feel like I miss a little bit out on the browsing because I, when I went in yesterday, they had the new iMacs and I realized I had never seen one of the new M1 iMacs in person. But I didn't even have time to look at it because they shuffled me in and out so quickly that I didn't even get to like, oh, I'd like to go over and look at. No, please leave. Uh, <laughs> you have gotten your iPad. Get out. Uh, so I, I do miss a little bit of that because I feel like over the last two years, there has been new stuff that I wanted to see that I still haven't. So I do I do find that I miss the browsing experience a little bit. And I think it will come back. But it's a matter of time, like everything these days. All right. Thanks for your thoughts on that topic. Let us go to our final topic, which comes from James. 
So did you order anything from Apple's event last week or are you just holding out for the Mac Pro? I am not holding out for the Mac Pro. Um, I did order things from this event. Uh, I ordered the studio display, which I'm very excited about. And then I am indeed getting a Mac Studio. I will be getting the um, M1 Max Mac Studio, not the M1... Uh, what is the next? I already forgot. M1 Ultra. Um, the M1 Max uh, base model, except I... Uh, changed it from five, I think it's 500 gigabytes default to a terabyte of storage. Um, that is uh, coming at some point in the future. That's kind of what Apple's uh, ship date is on it because I customized it. Um, but I went with just the very standard Mac Studio display. So that should be coming this Friday uh, per Apple's uh, site. So I'm very much looking forward because I can use that even before I get the Mac Studio with the MacBook Pro, the Intel MacBook Pro that I have now. Uh, so I'll be able to try that new display out. Um, so very excited about both of those, uh, especially because right now I'm rocking some very old Dell monitors as my external displays with my MacBook Pro. So it'll be interesting to have that Retina display in, uh, in a big format. Brianna, what about you? I've been one of these people who's been waiting for the studio display for a really long time. Uh, however, a year and a half ago with pandemic insanity, I decided to build like an ultimate, like, you know, $7,000 ultimate Windows uh, machine, you know, with the RTX 3090, Threadripper 24 core, you know, dual like two terabyte flash drives inside of it. So um, it really is an ultimate machine. And one of the things I got then was the biggest, best monitor that I could get, um, which is a Dell 32-inch display. And when it comes to this thing interfacing with my M1 MacBook, uh, it's truly, it's, it's fantastic. It, it, you plug it in. It just works first time every single time. It's got a KVM switch inside of it. So I can switch between Mac and PC. Um, when I you know, take my laptop away and I just could not justify it even with, uh, you know, my Apple fan buy too much stuff logic <laughs> ability to justify things. Um, I just couldn't justify spending, you know, $1,600 with tax on something that would be smaller and wouldn't do anything differently. Um, so I didn't get anything from this event. Um, I also passed on the iPhone this year. Uh, the only thing I bought from Apple this year is that M1 MacBook. So, um, you know, it's uh, it just didn't have anything in this uh, particular one for me. Yeah, so I already mentioned I bought an iPad Pro, and that was because I was kind of waiting to see what the iPad Air revision was like, and um, I felt like the base model was too small for me at 64 gigs, and I going up to the higher, higher price was like, well, I might as well spend 50 bucks more and um, get all the iPad Pro features, so I bought an 11-inch iPad Pro instead. Very happy with that decision. I, I feel a little bit stuck similarly on the Mac side. The Studio is an impressive-looking machine, uh, but you know, to, to Bree's point about pricing... 
1600 bucks for a studio display plus at least 2000 for a Mac Studio is $3,600, which is somewhat more than I was looking to pay. I don't necessarily need the M1 Max power for what I do. Not that it wouldn't be nice, but I'd be content to find something that fits kind of in the middle. And really on the desktop side right now, there isn't anything. I have a 2017 iMac uh, Retina 5K, which has a pretty good Intel processor in it. And certainly it is getting a little bit long in the tooth. Uh, But if I think I was going to replace it, it would be with either a larger iMac, which doesn't exist, and because of the discontinuation of the 27-inch iMac, may not exist for some time, uh, or a more powerful Mac Mini, which also doesn't exist right now unless you want to buy an Intel one. There's basically nowhere between the M1, uh, which I already have a MacBook Air M1, or the M1 Max, and there's nothing really within the $2,000 to $3,000 price range, which is where I'd be looking. So... Right now, there's nothing that came out of this that fits my budget and my needs, which is kind of a bummer because I have been looking to replace this iMac. So I guess I'll be waiting to WWDC to see if anything comes out of that uh, that might fit my needs better. James, why don't you wrap us up here? Well, really, I asked this question so I could try and justify my purchases in front of a jury of my peers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You can't. Uh, I did order a Mac Studio, the Ultra 64 edition, and a matching studio display to replace my four-year-old iMac Pro. It did cost a not insubstantial amount of money, like more than a stay at the Star Wars LARPing hotel kind of money. (laughs) So for a start, you know, all my main machines are currently Intel, uh, and that's just going to cause me more problems going forward. Really, I owe it to all my wonderful customers that I have an up-to-date Apple Silicon development machine. And, you know, when Apple announces the SDK for their headset at WWDC, it's probably a pretty safe bet it's going to need a high-end machine to drive it. And, you know, I've got to make something for that, right? Absolutely. And uh, because the monitor and computer are now separate, I can upgrade them at different times. So I'm basically saving money and the planet. Uh, I mean, but, you know, literally thinking of all the money I've saved for the last two years of not going to WWDC or indeed barely leaving the house. Um, I think summing up, Your Honor, we can all agree that it's an entirely defensible purchase. Uh, so far, I've only got the keyboard and the trackpad, and we'll see what the lockdown in Shenzhen does to the re- the ship dates for the rest of it. All right, folks, uh, we have reached the end of the main topics of the show. We'll have the bonus topic up next, but I do want to take a quick break to tell you about New Relic. If you're a software engineer, you've been there. It's 9 p.m. You're finally unwinding from work, but then your phone buzzes with an alert. Oh no, something is broken and your mind's already racing at what could be wrong. Is it global? Is it the network? Is it the cloud provider? Did you introduce a bug in your last deploy? Now the whole team is scrambling from tool to tool and messaging person after person to find and fix the issue. Well, that won't happen if you get New Relic. See, New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately, so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack all in one place. And more importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code, so you know exactly why the problem happened and you can resolve it quickly. That is why the dev and ops team at DoorDash, at GitHub, at Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9 p.m. call, it's just waiting to happen. So get New Relic before it does. 
and you can get access to the whole, the whole entire New Relic platform, all of those different tools, plus 100 gigabytes of data free forever with no credit card required. Literally, you can go and sign up. And as long as you stay within the 100 gigabytes of data, it's free forever. You don't even have to put in a credit card. Sign up at newrelic.com slash clockwise. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash clockwise. And our thanks to New Relic for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, my question, my bonus topic for you. If you were tasked with opening a restaurant, what cuisine would you serve? Brianna? Oh, man, I think it would have to be Chinese food. You know, one of the things uh, being married to Frank, uh, my husband, he's Chinese, is it's really hard to get authentic Chinese food. Everything you buy like out at restaurants, it tends to be the American like version of that that has a lot more sugar in it. And one of the things, uh, especially over the pandemic, is I've, I've learn to cook a lot more is uh, kind of mastering those recipes is really rewarding. And it also makes uh, kind of the sugar loaded American version of it just utterly uh, terrible to eat. So I would love to open a restaurant that would have some of these uh, great dishes that are more authentic. Uh, if I'm limited to stuff I can make, I guess this is a restaurant that serves sandwiches. No, <laughs> uh, but no if I limits. Had to pick one, okay, no limits. Um, it would probably either be an Italian restaurant or some form of Asian restaurant, whether it be Chinese or Thai, or a restaurant that serves all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, uh, that's a buffet, and we don't we don't do those. James, what about you? <laughs> I- I mean, if this was purely based on the food that I like, it's going to be either Thai or Indian. But really, I think I should go with Scottish because I imagine that could really rake in the tourist dollars. Yeah. Stick on a kilt, put the Outlander soundtrack on if needs be. You know, <laughs> having a restaurant is hard. I'm not proud. I'll do whatever. Um, I have gone to a number of Japanese restaurants and every time it has hands down been just an incredible experience. So I would definitely open a Japanese restaurant if I could, um, just to, just to sort of make them even more plentiful in the U.S. So it'd be very selfish. I just want to go to more Japanese restaurants. <laughs> um, all right, folks, uh, you should note that uh, if you'd like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a Clockwise subscriber. You just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and sign up for just five bucks a month or $50 a year. And you will, of course, help support the show, but also get this extra overtime topic. And this week's topic, we're going to discuss Apple's new universal control feature. Alrighty, folks, with that, we have reached the end of this episode of Clockwise. All that is left is to thank our incredible guests. Brianna Wu, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. And James Thompson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'll see you on episode 542. Uh, but Mike and I will be back next week. Until then, however, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.